Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 18. Chris, hey, how you doing? I am doing okay, uh, except my toilet decided that it was going to leak at some point, and it has probably been leaking for a couple of weeks, uh, a very slow leak under the floor, like between the subfloor and the wood floor. Oh. And I discovered that today. So I took out my toilet and started ripping up floor, and I didn't want to do that anymore. So now it is, it is kind of disassembled, trying to see how much I can save and how much I'm going to have to uh, replace. Yikes. Plumbing terrifies me. I had two plumbing projects this last week. One of them was installing a reverse osmosis water filter, and the other was installing a bidet. Small aside, bidets are great. That's Everyone should be on the bidet train. It's the superior way to solve that problem. And in both instances, I appreciated the fragility of this system of water that we have of like it doesn't take it, it's got to be perfect and it has to be perfect on every line of it if there's just a little leak anywhere it doesn't matter that it's just a, a one drip every hour that can add up well i guess on that scale it would <laughs> evaporate faster but a, a very small leak can uh turn into just an enormous disaster uh that sucks i'm sorry you have to deal with that <laughs> The, the chaos of realities. That's right. Uh, That's, once you own yeah, your own house, you got to deal with stuff like that. And I could probably call someone, but it's like, it's not a problem that's that big. So like, it's not like I'm going to mm. get an insurance claim on it. So it's like, uh, it's just a, it's just an annoying little problem that you got to deal with. How do you frame problems like that of when to outsource things in your personal life versus do them yourself? When, what, what is that line? At, at what point would that make sense to hire someone else and versus doing it yourself yeah i i guess i have two different things one is if I, it's just gonna take a long time and i just don't want to spend the time like um i'm fairly handy i would say but i on some things i just don't want to spend the time so i'll hire that out the other is if it butts up on my limit of knowledge so plumbing things and like electrical are two things that i will hire out very quickly um this is it's plumbing adjacent but it's mostly going to be like replacing a bit of subfloor around the toilet so i think that'll be okay um although water has happened before and we ran into mold and then i called someone right away because you don't want to be mm. messing with that so yeah if it's like if the stakes are high or if there's a high chance like that you're going to mess up for example i almost in my old house i almost uh, retiled our shower but if you do that wrong then you won't know for a long time and then it's a really big deal and so mm. i just hired someone because um the, the stakes are just really high what are the stakes if you retile oh a shower wrong yeah so if you retile a shower wrong then what like for example if you don't waterproof well behind the tiles then you'll get yeah. water leaks through the grout and it's the same problem i'm having with my toilet but it's your whole shower and so you're going to mm. rot your entire floor and and you know so under underneath um and you'll get a lot of mold and you won't even know it until like a tile falls off um yikes yeah okay spooky yeah i could see that <laughs> making sense and electrical also makes sense for me of like <laughs> you could very easily die right. from electrocuting yourself if you don't know what the proper things are. There's also like codes uh, and stuff. So if you don't know all the codes, then you may be doing illegal things and not, not even know it. Um, hmm. So I find myself in situations like that really wanting to learn the intricacies of how the thing works so that I can do it for the next time. Like in installing this bidet and installing the reverse osmosis water filter. I've done this now like three or four times and the stakes are pretty low because you notice really quickly if there's a leak in one of those two places. And each time I've done it, it it's gotten easier to make sure that there are no leaks the next time. Um, like I'm make sure to 
tighten like I, I get a better sense of how tight things need to be and where leaks tend to be and where to put the teflon tape and things like that and i think i get a lot of enjoyment from that and also i'm seeing what you're saying of like in very high risk things it makes a lot more sense to hire an expert but i think i i think i aspire to be that expert and often that just leads me down these rabbit holes of like it would have made so much more sense to hire someone else to spend money doing this thing this isn't quite a formulated thought yet but i I think yeah. I struggle with that line of knowing where that is for me. Yeah. I think we've talked about this in terms of like business and programming even before too. So like, um, like if I want to relate plumbing to programming, you, it's this idea of leaky abstractions. So like if you're programming with a really high level programming language, eventually you're going to hit something where you're going to have to know the, the bottom layer. Now you can get really far with high level abstractions, but eventually you're going to have to know the lower level. Um, another plumbing example for my house is um, our sewer pipe, which, most people don't even think about in the house like where does a mm. sewer pipe go it takes a weird 90 degree turn and then it doubles back on itself and because mm. of that uh it has a habit of backing up which is really really annoying and so like i didn't know anything about sewer pipes until our sewer pipe started backing up and then i had to figure out why and figure out how to fix it and i ended up putting in like i ended up cutting the sewer pipe and putting in a thing right um and that's all something I could have hired someone for. Uh, but now I know exactly how the sewer system in my house works. And if this happens again, then I can, then I can fix it. So it's like, I knew nothing about it. I learned about it because something went wrong and then I, you know, fixed it. And it was annoying at the time for sure. But now I have a better understanding of how my house works. Um, same thing happens in, in business and in programming. You know, you have a problem, you learn about why this is happening. You learn about solutions, then you can fix it. Um, now, sometimes it just, you know, you have no time and you need to pay the plumber to just come and fix it for you. But, uh, uh, yeah, now I know how it works. So <laughs> leaky abstractions. That's <laughs> yeah. literally with your sewer pipe. It, it was literally a leaky abstraction. Gross. Uh, how interesting because, uh, I can make the argument that it was so much more worthwhile for you to invest your time learning the intricacies of the, your sewer pipe in particular had this weird 90 degree bend. It doubled back on itself. And now, because you've invested the time learning this system at the lower level of abstraction, you were able to fix it in a way that you never had to think about it again. And if you do find yourself having to think about it again, you have the foundation to actually solve the problem much better. And I could imagine in a universe where you just hired someone to fix it, they had a much quicker and cheaper solution for fixing it. And then the next time, if something bad happens, okay, well, do you call those same people that took the shortcut? And do they even remember what they did? And do, it's sort of this whole new layer of complexity of, can you trust the people who did this? And do you need to spend time shopping around for the right person? It, it seems like in that instance that that was a worthwhile place to be opening up that box of complexity and learning the deeper level. Um, but, you know, you, you can't do that with everything. You can't go to the grocery store and when you're deciding which eggs to get... <laughs> interview every one of the egg right. farmers and figure out what the best egg solution there is. Uh, th this is, this is a perpetual problem I struggle with of like, when do you decide when it's worthwhile to dig into those sorts of problems? Because from the heuristic that you just said of like, it, if it's dangerous or if it's uh, a thing that's not in your expertise, I feel like from that heuristic, I would have said, ah, hire someone to solve this problem with the, with the sewer pipe. What, what for you made that situation different that you decided to dig into it yourself? Yeah, that's an interesting point. The reason it wasn't dangerous for me is because we have an unfinished basement. And so I can see mm. my sewer pipe 
And so even though I didn't think about it, I can see it, it's right there. And so like all I had to do, like, and if something went wrong, it would leak, but it would leak into my unfinished basement, which is, you know, not that big of a deal because um, you can clean it up, right? So I don't know how to tie that into programming, but it's, it's like, you know, I could, I could see the abstraction uh, and then now, now there is something. So, okay, so now that I learned about sewer pipes, um, we have a three inch sewer pipe in our house. New houses are built with four inch sewer pipes. And so mm. even these double back turns aren't that big of a problem. So what I want to do is replace the three inch pipe with a four inch pipe. That is not mm. something I can do myself because for part of the basement it does go into the ceiling, right? And so if mm. I wanted to do that, I'd have to tear out a ceiling, then tear out a sewer pipe. And then that's when you start worrying about codes and all that stuff. So I would have mm. to hire someone for that. Um, that's a little bit like, so this whole conversation reminds me of like non-technical people trying to hire technical people in order to build their, their stuff. Yeah. Um, at some point it really helps to know, you know, like how to go into code and how to change small things. But if you're non-technical for some things, you're just going to have to hire a technical person. Uh, and that's yes. a really hard problem to solve um, without spending a lot of money, right? You can always spend money and fix the problem. But mm. um, yeah, that's an interesting parallel there. This is starting to crystallize for me. I think I think that's a perfect analogy because uh, if you had gone into this with no knowledge of plumbing and from your perspective, you know, the, the only, the, 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 clearest way that you were able to define this problem was like sometimes my toilets get backed up and also my basement smells funny sometimes i don't know uh if if you then try to google like why does toilet get clogged up you might see oh it's because i need to plunge it with a toilet plunger and then you might hire a professional toilet plunger to unplunge your toilet when really the problem was at a deeper layer of abstraction than the toilet and so by learning a little bit about plumbing, by learning just enough to be dangerous, by learning the, you know, 20% of effort and you, you learn 80% of the thing, by going at least that far, you're able to better understand the problem and then put yourself in a situation where you know enough about it to be dangerous, where, like, you, you feel like, okay, maybe I could switch out this three-inch pipe with a four-inch pipe. Right. Uh, but as long as you're not actually doing that, you're, you're learning enough so that you can make an informed decision so that you know at least that that is the problem, that... The, the clearest way forward would be to replace the three inch pipe with a four inch pipe. Now you're much more informed and you can spend money much more effectively on hiring the actual expert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's still, it still is a lot of dirty I work like though. You know, you still got to do the dirty work to, to know the, know the solution. Yes. That, okay. This, this fits well with me though. Of like, don't become a plumber, but learn just enough plumbing to be dangerous. Learn, Learn enough of the lingo and learn enough of the terms that you're able to, to feel your way around. And the direct analogy to this would be like someone who has a cool app idea for a thing they want to build. You're not going to be able to build it yourself. And if you get, if you learn just enough, if you take like a, a coding class or two and learn about authentication and how to set up user models and things, and then uh, you, you feel ambitious enough to try to roll your own authentication. Okay, well, that's dangerous. Don't do that. Uh, you, you've learned you've learned enough to know what the terms are and like how to do the thing, but uh, it, it would take a lot more effort. You're, you're at the, you're at the, you spent 20% of the effort to get 80% of the knowledge position. The most effective way forward would be now to hire someone now that you know what you're looking for and you know enough of the terms to be able to judge quality in this domain. Uh, and then hire someone with the actual expertise who's going to be able to do authentication correctly. That feels good. That, that, feels like the right strategy here yeah it's the same thing 
so yeah so hiring people is super hard and so if you learn just enough it's good uh another home improvement thing is uh garage doors so I, it's the same thing that happened so when my garage door broke i knew i was going to have to hire someone because i knew enough to know that those springs in the garage doors they have enough potential energy in them if they snap when you're working on them they can like take your arm off like it's like oh. super dangerous but what I did is I did a bunch of YouTubing. That's how I learned everything, right? And I learned all about garage door springs and rollers and all this stuff. So that when I called different people, you know, I could tell if they were, you know, BSing me or, or if they were quoting way too high or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing technical wise. Just like you said, learn enough about, say, user authentication or app development or whatever. So you, when you do hire someone, you can tell if they're, you know, uh, if, if they're competent or not, basically. Uh, that's an unexpected home improvement uh, lesson tied into programming there. Love it. And then I guess applying this more broadly, dive into the areas that are actually interesting to you. Like go go broad and deep. Have have enough of a broad enough knowledge that like you know a little bit about plumbing and a little bit about garage doors. <laughs> enough that you don't try to uh, change the spring by yourself. Uh, and then choose the... the few domains that interest you enough and, and hold your interest enough that you want to learn everything about them so that you can be the domain expert for someone else. General life advice with Chris and Christian on the makers.dev podcast. Uh, Nate, what did you get up to this last week? Yeah. So after our conversation last week, I decided just like ML is what I'm interested in now. AI, you know, generally. Yep. So I'm just going to do that. Like, um, I'm going to, you know, unabashedly like forget everything else and just learn about that for a while because I know in a couple of weeks I will get a little more tired of that and I can kind of fall back to the things I need to do or mm-hmm. have told myself I need to do. So I just did more of that. Um, I I have done like quite advanced AI projects in the past, but I've never mm-hmm. uh, went back to learn some of the basics, especially some of the stuff that's come out since I've been to college, which was a long time ago now. So there's like a lot of new stuff. Um, so what I've been doing, there's these kind of... Uh, I'll call them toy data sets. There's these data sets in AI where everyone benchmarks against. And the first one that you'd learn is uh, recognizing digits. So this is in the image recognition recognition space. The reason that this exists is because someone has, um, so Jan LeCun, uh, he had put together 60,000 images of handwritten numbers. Um, they are 28 by 28 pixels and they're grayscale. So it's a really small data set. Um, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of them, but but it's each image is really small, and so you can like practice all of these different things on a very small data set, which means you can run it on the like. So I was running it on a free Google Colab um, GPU, uh, which, by the way, if you want to practice AI, it used to be like you either had to make your own machine or you had to pay for a machine. Um, now you can do it for free on Google Colab, which is awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, so look that look that up. Um, so anyway, so I, I've just been playing with that. I've now been learning a lot of these foundational kind of uh, things that I hadn't learned before, just playing with this toy data set. Um, and so that's been, that's been what I've been doing. I, I got up to, so state of the art right now is 99.84 or so percent accurate. And I'm at 99.64, which is about what state of the art was in 2015. So I'm slowly working that's my way up the, up the years. Um, now getting from 0.64 to 0.84 is like, you know, a, a huge leap but uh sure yeah that's what i've been doing that's amazing i remember using that exact data set in my machine learning class in college uh this would have been like in 2014 yeah it's been around for a while is that right 20 it's, when did I it's been around at least no it would have been like 2013 i think it's been around um, since at least like 2008 or something maybe before that okay yeah that would make sense uh and i don't think i got near that i think <laughs> yeah. i remember working on it like the night before it was due and <laughs> I think I got it to like 
I don't know, 94% was like, ah, whatever. I'm about to graduate. It's fine. <laughs> uh, interesting. What's, uh, I'm, I'm curious about the Google Colab. That's not something that existed the last time I looked at this. Uh, I will include that in the show notes for listeners who want to play around with AI. Um, you, you mentioned that getting up to the state of the art in this and uh, relearning the fundamentals has been rewarding and fun. Other than Google Colab, are there things you learned this last week that are uh, that, that were surprising or, or especially useful to you and how ML has changed? Um, there, there's lots. <laughs> so I can talk about lots of different things. One one is like, it's, it's really neat to... So I did the Fast AI course, for example, and they talk about a lot of these different techniques that I've been looking at. Um, but they sort of, like, they don't have time to go into each one. And so, like, some of it is just, like, a one-liner, like, oh, use Dropout. And, like, like you know, why does that work or not? Um, and until I spent a whole day, like, I spent, like, all of Sunday, like, using Dropout. And I, I, I can go into a lot of detail if you want me to, but there's, like, basically I learned each of these things. And now that I'm doing it, on my own from scratch, like I'm actually learning why or why not I would use these in certain circumstances. So even though it's on like this toy data set and it's sort of, it's sort of silly to try to get from, you know, 99.64 to 99.84. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just teaching me a lot about the different fundamental things that you do lo- use on bigger projects. So like, these are fundamental things that you're going to l- use on, on bigger data sets. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I have almost nothing to talk about this last week because <laughs> I did. I just did mostly email. I just <laughs> answered a whole bunch of email. There's there's one uh, project I worked on that I'd love to get your feedback on. But like, if you'd like to, I would love to dig into one of these topics that was particularly interesting to you because I don't have a lot else to talk about. And machine learning is fun. Uh, I remember trying to dig into TensorFlow mm-hmm. a, a few months ago, and the I think a tensor is like a matrix. Uh, it's their idea of a matrix, and uh, TensorFlow the library just includes a lot of convenience methods for dealing with matrices and doing matrix arithmetic and multiplication and division. Uh, and I never got to the point where I could do anything useful with it. But I am I think inevitably this is something I'm going to want to dig into of like, oh, okay, this, this whole category of problems of like, I can turn horses into zebras, that's cool. And uh, eventually finding a commercial application for like classification algorithms, that's that's something that I would like to be able to do by hand, or at least understand the 80% of it that then I know the correct tools to use or, or the correct expert to hire. Uh, so if there's a topic you'd like to dig into, <laughs> like, sure. teach me some ML. Uh, yeah, we've we uh, got time and space. So w- one thing I can talk about is, uh, so you talked about TensorFlow. Yep, TensorFlow is a thing. Uh, the There's basically two major ones right now, TensorFlow and, TensorFlow and PyTorch. Um, PyTorch is used a lot more for research and TensorFlow is used a lot more for like industry applications, um, because TensorFlow or PyTorch is sort of easier to use, uh, like on the fly and change things like really quickly, um, because of the way it works. Uh, TensorFlow just added something that makes it like PyTorch. So, you know, uh, there's that, but the reason TensorFlow, so, okay. So PyTorch was created by Facebook and TensorFlow was created by Google. And so you might imagine like why they might use these two things. Google is definitely focused on like huge applications. They're focused on really fast inference. They're focused on it being everywhere. So that's what TensorFlow is really good at. It's like this kind of the serving part of it. There's there's this whole um, ecosystem around how you handle a model once, once you make it. Whereas PyTorch is used much more in the research community. Um, So that's kind of the two different avenues. 
Um, yeah, a tensor is a matrix. Uh, the reason that deep learning works at all is because um, GPUs and now this thing called the TPU, um, they do matrix multiplications really, really fast. That's like the whole the whole reason it exists. Um, so you can take a whole bunch of data, you can represent it like a matrix. Uh, images are just matrices. Uh, natural language, you might not think of it like one, but you can convert it into one. There's a few different ways to do that. Um, a simple way is like think you assign you know A to Z, the numbers 0 to 26. And then you can put those in a matrix. Like that's one way. Uh, that's not the best way, but but there are other ways. Um, or zero to twenty-five, I guess. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of zero all. Zero index to twenty-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I didn't catch that. Uh, so that's kind of all like the foundation stuff. But what I would say though, you mentioned business applications, and if you're going to, if anyone is listening and wants to get into ML or AI, and you want to do it for business applications, um, I would suggest looking at fast.ai first. Um, we talked about them last time. They're a, a course and then a library on top of PyTorch. And what they are really, really good at is getting you right into using the business applications. And so you don't really have to learn the fundamentals. You do eventually if you stay with the course, but they start with business applications that work towards the fundamentals. Um, whereas most courses are the other way around. And the reason you're able to do that with uh, AI is because you can do this thing called transfer learning, which means uh, really smart people have spent a lot of money on computers to create models that already exist for certain classes of problems like object detection. So if you want to do object detection, get their model first, and then you can fine tune it on your data set. Um, mm. And that means you get to skip the whole part where you have to design the whole thing and spend lots of money to train it. And you just get to fine tuning it on your data set. Um, and that's how it can be super valuable for, for business applications. And then the other thing I'll say is you probably don't need AI unless, unless you're doing a certain class of things. A lot of people think they need deep learning, or sorry, I'll define what I mean. AI is like a big class of problems, right? Uh, ML is a certain class of problems where you feed it data and ask it to make predictions. And then deep learning is a specifically deep neural networks. ML more broadly, and we talked about this last time too, but it includes lots of algorithms that aren't deep learning. And they usually actually work better on business kind of problems uh, than deep learning does. So that was me talking about a lot of different things. Neat, love it. Uh, and this is this is the sort of the knowing the field of the information, and then you can uh, you you know like the person I hired the the direction to go in. Um, if if TensorFlow is from the beginning more focused on industry applications, is does that not make more sense? Why why would you recommend going with PyTorch over learning TensorFlow if your goal is to like make the uh, is this a hot dog app like, from <laughs> yeah. uh, Silicon Valley. So the way that TensorFlow was so good from the beginning for the second half of the the, the life cycle of ML was because it used this thing called a, a graph, right? So you make a graph and then you compile it and then you run on the graph. That is sort of, that's backwards from the way a lot of computer programmers think um, because you can't you, you can't like change your graph. You can't look at your graph until it's mm -hmm. in inference mode. It, it's like really difficult. And so what PyTorch came along and did is made um, all of that like a lot more like regular programming. Um, and so it, you can't do some of the neat things. Like you can't like compile your graph in certain ways for like mobile or whatever. Um, although they're working on that, right? Um, but you can iterate much, much faster. And it's just, it feels like a lot more like normal programming. Um, and then TensorFlow came in, TensorFlow 2 now released something called Eager Execution Mode, which is a lot more like P PyTorch. Um, 
but that's a little bit like an angular one two situation if you know the, mm -hmm. the history of angular like it, which is google's thing too right um it it existed one way first and then they sort of switched it over to this other way um and so angular lost a lot of of people during that switch because like it was like a totally different way of doing it uh it's not quite that drastic like you can still write tensorflow one code in tensorflow two um but you can also write this new like eager execution way and so basically what just happened is um people started using pytorch a lot more and now they're used to it so now they use it got it that makes sense okay cool uh sounds like pytorch learning through fast.ai specifically is a better way to learn the fundamentals and get a better understanding of how ml works and then uh you could just go forward with that 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 would be just as commercially viable as using something like tensorflow and if not you'll understand tensorflow much better and uh tensorflow 2 works much more similarly to yeah. how pytorch works yeah. and th those learn learn the one that's easier to learn first and then once you have that understanding you could apply it to to either framework yeah. and pytorch through fast ai is the easier one to learn yeah. is that right yeah i would say so Mo most practitioners know both really like it's it's not as big a difference as say like react and view um it's like the underlying stuff they're all it's all just tensors which are just matrices being multiplied and so you just learn the special syntax for each one and and that's kind of the same um the other thing i'll say is tensorflow has tensorflow.js which is very interesting yes. because it's javascript um one thing that really holds me up is python and even though python is a lot like say ruby and it's object oriented mm -hmm. it's dynamically typed all that stuff it's still like i'm like okay how again do i add something to a matrix at this certain you know like I, as soon, yeah that pulls you out of its uh, the flow so I'm looking at TensorFlow.js now, especially because you can use it on GPUs now. It used to be you couldn't, uh, and then it used to be tied to this old TensorFlow-like way of doing things, which I didn't like very much. Now you can, as, as far as I understand, use new TensorFlow and use GPUs, which makes everything just work. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm taking another look at, at TensorFlow.js. I am thinking about making a course on it or, or something. That's kind of how I learn things is like making a whole Ooh. course on it. Um, so maybe in the future, there will be a TensorFlow.js course. Wonderful. I will take the course sign me up uh i have a bent towards tensorflow.js just because of javascript for the yeah. same reason of any I, I know ruby really well i know javascript really well especially esx is just oh my favorite language they, they it's so nice and anytime i have to for some industry specific or application specific reason use python it, i feel like i had a stroke i feel like <laughs> yeah these like i know the thing i'm supposed to be able to do but it's all called different things and i can't just say a write out length i have to call len and that's a function and i have to call that on the thing and then like the data structures are just subtly different yep. like it, it's maps and lists and a list isn't it it oh i don't i don't like it there's a site that's really useful for this that i consult almost every time i have to do something in python or lua also i've had to use for uh hammer spoon called learn x in y minutes.com mm. that's just like a high level overview of a a program written in the language that you're learning designed for programmers to pick up just like okay, okay here's how you do comments here's some here's how you like print stuff out we don't have to go over the theory behind you know data structures and and how things work you just need to know what things are called and what you can and can't do and like our functions uh first level objects is that what they're called first level or, or primitives or are sure, they treated yeah. as variables yeah. can you pass them around like yeah. like lambdas um and then okay in in about 10 minutes you can learn enough of a language to be able to be sort of proficient or at least know the words to use when you're googling for uh questions to that and at the same time while i've been limping along on that i could 
I, I think I think fast AI would be a really good excuse for me to actually learn Python as opposed to just the surface level understanding of like knowing Ruby really well and then knowing enough about Python to know where they're different. Right. Like the indentation is oh I don't <laughs> I don't like the indentation. It <laughs> rose me the wrong way. I like I like that it's enforced now that like all Python code is gonna be formatted in the same way and have consistent indentation. Uh but it's it's just weird. It's just it's different, and I don't like it. I have my way of doing things in Ruby, and that's the way I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, so this would be a good excuse to to actually learn it. Yeah. Uh, the other so I, I have to check out that Learn X and Y minutes. The other thing I have here, I have I bought books, so I have Effective Python, um, which is so this is sort of similar. This is ninety ways to write better Python, and so it kind of assumes you have a base knowledge already, and it just goes through like the better ways to do things in python so that's like a neat one and then i have this data science from scratch book which uh if i do everything in here i will know a lot more about the data science fundamentals and i will learn python a lot better so those are two of the books that i bought for python specifically love it there's a book that i've been meaning to read called uh learn python the hard way mm -hmm. by something shaw i think i'll link it in the show notes yeah so I think that's the book that I would want to read on Python. Do you know anything about it? Yes. So he was a uh, Ruby guy who then sort of got tired of all the flame wars or something, so went to Python. Is that is that correct? <laughs> I don't know, but that sounds like my guy. I think that's right. <laughs> so he went from Ruby to Python. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've heard that recommended before. Um, I think you can get it online for free too. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But he made it much harder to find where the free version uh, is. Okay. But yes, I, I think that's what I would do. Okay. Cool. This is. Another project for me to throw on the project pile of like learn Python and then learn machine learning. Uh, and what I'll end up doing is just waiting for you to record your course. That's so right. That I can, that's right. Uh, get, get taught by you. Neat. I had a weird week. I had an uncharacter uncharacteristically boring week and I didn't, I didn't like it, mm. but it felt necessary. Yeah. I just, I just went through a lot of emails. Was it because you were I answering something emails? Like, what, was Say it because again. you were answering emails or was it because you didn't create stuff or was it like, like why was, why did it feel weird? My primary work that I decided at the end of the last episode was like, all right, I'm going to try to get to the bottom of this giant email hole that I've dug myself or email mountain. I conceptualize <laughs> it in two ways, depending on how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, and so anytime I had a block of work come up, like, yes, I had all my divergent ideas of like, oh, here's features I can implement and stuff I could do. And I was just like, all right, the thing I decided to do this week is just push forward email. And so it just became really boring of like, all right, I open up email and I go through more email and I've made this number smaller and the number is approaching zero. And like, this is objectively the thing that I need to be doing the most right now because I've let it sit for too long. And it's, if I let it sit for any longer, it's going to become a dragon. But like, it just felt a little soul crushing of, okay, I, I'm not creating new things because I need to take care of this, like, like flossing. It felt like flossing. <laughs> it felt like I yeah. spent a week flossing my teeth because I spent the last three months not floss flossing at all. And now my mouth is just disgusting and horrible. And I really want this to be done. That's just, that's the goal of it. I'm not excited for it to be done. I'm sort of excited for the feeling I'll feel of lightness and like, okay, now I can work on creative things guilt-free after this. But like, it's just, it's just a slog. It's just like, I, it's going to take a lot more work and it's not going to be exciting work and it's not going to be creative, but it's like, it's work that I need to just 
tie myself to the mast and get done because I like myself much more when I'm on top of this sort of thing. When like I have taxes taken care of that I'm on top of, which is also a thing that needs to happen this month, which I would like to also I knock f- out. This I month. forgot business taxes are due in a week. Yeah. Uh, I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it at all. Is it in a week? I thought it was the end of the month. Did I get that wrong? The 15th. Yeah. The fifth. Oh no. The 15th is like quarterly. The quarterly things are due then. At business taxes are due March 15th. As far as I understand. For like the year of 2020? Yeah. Okay. And then it's I a- probably have an email from my accountant <laughs> reminding me of that. <laughs> and it's, it's, See, this is, ah. it's April 15th for people. It's March okay. 15th for businesses. But okay, you can do what I did last year and probably I'm going to do this year because I forgot again. Uh, yes. You can get a free extension to September 15th. You just have to file a form. Okay. Extend it. Great. That's what I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> I hate I hate this little pang of panic. <laughs> I'm like, oh, because, man, this it, it happens every year at the same time and it gets a little bit better every year i'm i'm more on top of the stuff i need to be on top of just a little bit more every year and in five years i think it'll be it'll be no problem and it'll be totally systematized three years ago this was just like my entire life was on fire uh for this kind of thing and i'm i mostly have things under control now but like yeah this i hate this type of work and i hate even more allowing that hatred to stop me from doing it because that makes it even worse. I just need to confront it head on and just like put my head down and suck it up and do it. And then that'll free a bunch more space to be doing more interesting, creative things. And uh, I don't like it, but that's what I'm going to do. That, that was my week. It was, uh, <laughs> sounds awesome. <laughs> you know, that's not the word I would use to describe it. <laughs> Now, it's, now, was uh, there any? Let's let's try to ask that in a more constructive way. It, 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 yes. Are there any like patterns you could uh, figure out from email, right? So before you were yeah. talking about like a system to go through your email, like maybe a Gmail like um, a plugin or something, something to help you. Are there any yeah. systems or patterns that you can figure out from this experience to like help you next time or help it not get to the the mountain that it has been? Yes. And. I started this journey being like, oh, I'm going to so excitedly make a new Gmail thing. And there was nothing there. I yeah. think I, there's a few things I would want to change. And I sort of know what an email app would look like if I made it. But I think I was just using that as an excuse to like not actually do the work that I want to do. Makes sense. Not that I want to do, that I need to do. And I think it's going to look much more like work level patterns as opposed to software so there's like a category of emails of like newsletters where it's difficult for me to get through those because I value, you know, out of every, I, I get an email newsletter that's a hacker news summary of all the posts. And that's sort of my compromise with myself of this is how I don't spend all of my time on hacker news and just methodically refresh the page and use it as a, a dopamine machine. Like, okay, yes, I recognize there are some useful things in here. How about this? We get a daily email summary of the top posts from that day. And then once a week, I go through all of those and pick out the most interesting ones. But then the new problem is, okay, out of a week's worth of emails of these top posts from Hacker News, I've got like 20 links that I want to look into. And two of those 20 links are like, to fully capitalize on this would involve this in-depth research thing of I'm completely changing the way I'm doing this thing. And like, uh, I found out about Talon this way, this, uh, way to interact with your computer entirely through voice. Hmm. And I want to do that. I want to just spend a week just devoting myself to this one link of these 20 things of, Oh my gosh, this is the whole thing. And 
this happens every week. There's just a new thing like that that I would love to just dive into that doesn't feel outsourceable. It doesn't feel like that's the sort of thing that I could give. I almost want like a, I don't know, like a graduate student who I could say, hey, here's these four interesting areas of research. Spend an hour on each one and write me a report about them so that I can then go forward on it. But that that in itself doesn't quite make sense. Uh, and so the the... <laughs> I've sort of just kicked the can further down the road of uh, my current method of getting through those emails is I open up all of the interesting links from a day of posts on a typical day. That'll be like three or four posts. And as long as it's not something time dependent of like pressing, it has something to do with a project I'm currently working on, or it's something involving like finances or Bitcoin that I would like to find out about because that would inform a financial decision I'm making. That just gets opened in a new tab. And then I have one of my 500 Chrome extensions uh, lets me export the URLs of all of my open tabs as text. And so I just copy all that text and I paste it in a Markdown document and then I close all the tabs and then I keep going through email. And so now I have moved the problem from, I have all of these emails to, I have all of these links in this document that I think it's like a thousand links now of yeah. all of these links for me to potentially go and every one of them is, is another potential research project. And I think what's going to make the most sense to do with that is maybe I find myself getting in these habits of uh, addiction of if I feel frustrated or anxious, I right now the thing for me is I go to YouTube. So before I even know what's happening, my fingers have opened YouTube and I'm clicking on the most interesting link. I would love to replace that with, hey, instead of YouTube, where YouTube is telling you what's interesting, what if you from the past decided like, okay, yes, you want this dopamine hit, you want a fun little thing to do, a fun treat. How about we take a random sample of these thousand links that you have marked as <laughs> might be interesting to you, and we'll show you some of those instead. And now at least you're being sort of internally consistent. You're, you're following things that you were interested in in the past. Uh, that's the, that's the strongest pattern I can find so far. Yeah. If if I could better, if if I had a better flow for dealing with these divergent ideas of links and. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I got so far. It's, it's, it's like not... a, a stumble upon for your own bookmarks. Ah, <laughs> oh, I forgot about stumble upon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it'd be exactly like that. Yeah. And then anytime I open YouTube, I just redirect that to <laughs> stumbleupon.genetico. <laughs> I, I think people have tried sort of variations of this idea. Um, the really neat idea would be then you get a thousand other people to do this, and then you can find interesting links because people share the most interesting things. Then you can, you know, like cross figure out what people like and, you know, uh, Oh, but now I've just reinvented Reddit. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that that solves my problem. No, it doesn't solve your problem. It's just interesting. <laughs> that would be really cool. And yes, <laughs> that's uh, that's also where my mind goes. Uh, specifically, I think what I want to do is I to, to, to process a link usually involves me like reading the thing or noting it and saying like, oh, okay, if I ever do something in the area of... Uh, speech to text or speech to commands i would like to be reminded that talent exists so that in whatever idea that christian from five years from now has in the future uh he's able to 
resurface that information in a meaningful way and say like, okay, I'm thinking about speech detection. Oh, what's this? I know what I made about this link I found on Hacker News five years ago. This is perfect. I've, I've collected all this now in a, in a little bucket. Uh, and that's, that's the sort of thing that I could see potential value from a, a shared network of like, if I had a, a community of people all taking notes in a similar way, and then I could cross-reference my notes with theirs. Now I'm sort of sharing exo brains with other people, and now now I could maybe resurface links and summaries of links that didn't come from me that came from other people. Uh, that would be kind of cool. I think like like Rome Research, I think is very well positioned to do something like this. Mm. If you could have public notes that were then linked in other people's brains. Uh, and this is sort of what excites me about Neuralink is that you could do this sort of thing with your own thoughts and then be able to cross-reference your own thoughts with thoughts other people had had. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be like a much more efficient internet. Um, if I made a service like that, I think that's the direction I would want to take it in is how can you more effectively share and cross-link notes about the primary sources? Yeah. Yeah, I do a similar thing, but just with bookmarks instead of text links. So I have mm -hmm. thousands of bookmarks. And when I get a new computer, they don't transfer over. So I got this new computer what, a year ago or something, and I lost my several thousand bookmarks. Uh, I mean, they're on my old computer, uh, mm -hmm. and I just don't care. <laughs> like, I never went yeah. back to them. So just declare bookmark <laughs> bankruptcy, you know, and yeah. go forward. Um, the other thing I thought is uh, this would be a great place for an AI because an AI could go read all your links and summarize them and then, you know either give you summaries oh. or the, the one thing that I would really like this for is I know that I bookmark a thing. Like I, I'm actually really good at like digesting hacker news in like in a few minutes or a few seconds, trying to figure out if I like the link and if I want to bookmark it where I'm yeah. pretty good at that. What I'm really not good at is I saw this thing two years ago. What keywords do I search for in my bookmarks link to yeah. try to find that thing again? And so I just search yeah, the but... internet for it and Google's good enough that I usually find something, but it'd be really neat if an AI had summarized it and I could search the summaries for the, you know, the, the keywords I think are there. Um, yes, that's kind of an interesting idea. That's the exact use case that I want to do for this. Okay, so here's my take on this. Here's exactly how I would solve that problem and what, what I'm trying to do for myself. I have a system that I'm sort of building for myself that's loosely based on the Zettelkasten system, this idea that you take notes in a way where you're writing notes to yourself in the future for like sentence by sentence or idea by idea about a certain topic so that over the last year when every time I've taken a note about speech to text stuff, one of them was Talon and how Talon works. And maybe another one is like, here's how blind people are affected by computers and how they use it. And, uh, you know, another note about how my doctor diagnosed with, with, uh, like pre glaucoma or something. I think I'm going to uh -huh. go slowly blind over the next 60 years and there's just nothing I can do about it. So that's spooky. Uh, so if I, if I'm like writing all those ideas sentence by sentence at a time, a Zettelkasten is a framework for being able to link all those thoughts together. And then when I sit down to actually write an essay about speech to text or a blog post or a script or a video or something, I have all of those pre-thought out thoughts. And now I'm just, now that's like my instant rough draft that I've put no effort into. I don't have to start with a blank page. I'm starting with my last several years of thoughts and, and research on this topic. And then writing becomes trivially easy because now I just edit that rough draft and now I have the finished thing and I can maybe go through another iteration of polishing that up. So what I think would be cool is if those notes got resurfaced every time I searched Google, hmm. if there was a Chrome plugin that searched my notes, and now when I take a note, I have a very concrete like, okay, I'm typing things in this note that I'm going to search for in the future when I want this note to come up. 
And so I think what that's going to look like is th this is just I, I keep my notes in Markdown on my computer. I think the Chrome extension would be uh, you, you look at the local file system and you index those files. And it's not that much. I think the entire thing's like it's certainly less than 100 megabytes of text, uh, like trivial on the scale of BigQuery and like uh, search engine stuff. And I think I just have like a local instance of Elasticsearch or, or whatever full text search engine thing uh, on my computer. And the Chrome extension queries that API anytime I run a Google or a DuckDuckGo search and then includes those search results on to the side whenever I make a Google search. And now that's like the moment when I would want that content resurfaced. And now I've closed the loop on the, the links that I'm reading and the things that I'm searching and the notes that I'm taking. That it, the, the information is flowing now instead of being siloed and trapped in uh, a thousand bookmarks <laughs> on my old computer. It's, right. it's actually being useful. What's your hot take on that? That was an unintentional <laughs> hot take. Uh, yeah. I mean, no, that'd be pretty neat. Uh, it sounds like a, could be a big waste of time too, but I, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> a big, big waste of time in that if you built it, like, uh, I don't know how long it could take a really long time and, and maybe may or may not be actually worth it for you to build, but, um, It'd be really cool. Christian, you sure do work really hard to not just do your email like a yes. responsible adult. That's kind of, <laughs> <you don't. laughs> that's what I'm saying between the lines. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. What I want to do is like prove to myself that I'm not just trying to avoid going through email. So like get to the bottom of email, make sure that my taxes are done and I'm doing that responsibly. And then reprioritize like, okay, here's, here are all the things I can be working on. Uh, <laughs> Clips.marketing is a thing I haven't pushed forward at all for like the last several weeks. Uh, and that's arguably the most important thing I could be working on. And my gosh, there are so many file inbox projects that uh, would be very valuable if I push those forward. Uh, let's be honest about what actually makes the most sense to go forward and try to connect with my feelings of what am I the most excited about in this moment. And, uh, Sure, if if this linking system from that honest point of I can trust that I'm not just trying to avoid this this other work I'm trying to do, if that's still exciting, then yeah, let's work on it. Uh, but in the meantime, I just need to do the emails. Goodness, I just, I just, <laughs> I just need to do them. That's pretty much what I'm saying. It's It'd be a really neat project. It'd be a cool side project, uh, but do your emails first. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to the bottom. I think I'm at, let me, let me pull it up. I think I'm at like, uh, I took it from 350 emails that needed my attention to, I think something like in the high 200s. Let's, I'll, I'll have the exact number for you in a second. Uh, yeah, 271 is what they're currently at. So next week, I would love if that number was below a hundred. I'm looking at this graph and, oh, it's, <laughs> it's this, it's this mountain. I track the, the per every, every uh, six hours I log, like how many start emails do I have? And that's my system for figuring out how many emails I yeah. have. And it's this mountain that's just gotten so oh, big. No. And then this last week, it just, I just poop and just a little bit on the top. <laughs> All of my week's effort was just that I've moved it a little bit and I'm, we're going to get to the bottom. We're yeah. going to, we're going to do it, you know, that, and I'm not going to enjoy it, but it's going to get easier as I go. And the lower I get, I'm going to feel so much better about myself and I'm going to feel like I have my life together so much more. And then I'm going to get to the bottom and it's just going to feel so great. And that's, and I'm going to celebrate all the little wins along the way. 
So good job, Christian of last week. You did it. You, you moved the mountain down. It was very hard. Let's do it again this next week. We may even do even more. And as a reward, when you get to the bottom, you can work on all these creative projects guilt-free. And it's going to feel great. That's where I am. Yeah. I, I was going to say, this is sort of a whole other can of worms, but uh, what you described sounds a lot like my weight loss. <laughs> yeah. Past, you know, it's like you, you don't pay attention and all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, and then you lose a whole yeah. bunch at once. And then you're like, uh-oh. Uh <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, same, same problems. You just cool. yeah. don't think about it for a while. And then one of the advantages of this podcast is accountability to you and accountability uh, publicly. So Chris and the audience of makers.dev, I'm going to get below. I don't know. I don't want to put an exact number on it. I'm going to work really hard Do it. on getting yep. this number yep. down. Currently it's at 271. So it will certainly not be above 271. And I will feel good about progress that I make in that direction. But that's... That's the most important work that I can be doing this next week. And then, excuse me, I'm, I'm feeling like a, like a nausea of this, of this type of work. Oh no! Manifesting me choking. Uh, on top of that, I have, I think, a hundred customer support emails that have gone unanswered, and so many of those are just spam, and it's not even hmm. it's not even anything. And I'm sure several of them are going to be like, "Hey, I emailed you." two weeks ago and then i emailed you again a week ago and then i emailed you again three days ago and now i'm emailing you again today and you're a terrible awful person and you don't deserve to run a business and i'm gonna be like you know what fair point you're not you're not wrong and i'm gonna deal with that when it comes and we're just gonna face it head on and then i'm gonna clear it out and it's gonna be at zero and it's gonna be done and i'm gonna feel great and this podcast has now become <laughs> Christian's therapy for getting rid of uh, dealing with his anxiety around external commitments. Uh, it's been a really up and down, uh, up and down podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. Uh, that's all I got. That's, that's where I am right now. That's what I'm working on. That's, <laughs> that's all I got too. That's Ho what this hopefully be. next week. Yeah. is a little less uh, weird. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I hope. Uh, this was a really weird episode. I hope we're both in a better place next week, both with dealing with literal sewer pipes and abstraction leakages and uh, metaphorical digital ones of uh, email that's been left undone and and taxes. All right. I'll see you next week. <laughs> we're going to get through this. See you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.